0: James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and again, we're going to have a two-part message here that will be starting uh, today, and then we'll finish up, uh, the Lord willing, uh, next Lord's Day, and uh, this morning we want to look at our relationship with the Word of God, our relationship with the Word of God, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 21 through 20 to 7, we'll be uh, probably not finishing it this morning, but we'll finish it next week. And what we do with the Bible will determine what God does with us. <coughs> that truth, I believe, is confirmed in this portion of James as he deals with our relationship with the Word of God. I think it's tragic that many Christians are ignorant of the truths of Scripture. What is even more tragic is the failure of multitudes of even preachers, pastors, call themselves preachers, Preach and teach uh, that, uh do not preach and teach the word of God to their people. Churches all over our country today do not even open the Bible for the message that's been given. And I believe many of the problems in churches across our land today are traced to the ignorance in the pulpit and in the pew. Now, as your pastor, it's my desire to be truthful and accurate in my messages. I do all I can to, uh, to give you God's Word and give it to you accurately. Because I want my ministry to be credible, not for my sake, but for the glory of God. And I don't want people to go away confused. All right. I also believe this principle is true for every Christian. You see, when we don't live the truths of the Bible in our everyday lives, we lose credibility with the unsaved. They say, you are a Christian, and you live the way you live. Somehow, all once they become Bible experts, you know. They know what the Bible says, and they uh, begin to say, well, you're not living according to the Bible. Well, many times... If we don't live what we believe, we'll create confusion by our own hypocrisy. And the unsaved will say, I thought Christians did not do this or live this way. Well, I hope no one can say that about your life as people view the way you live. Now, this is a very important section of Scripture. Aren't they all? I mean... Uh, I often say that, but uh, the Scripture is, is, is important. The whole counsel of God's Word is important. But I think this particular section is very relevant for us today. And once again, I'm going to have to divide it into two parts, as I said already, in order to uh, really adequately cover these verses. So I'm going to take some time in examining our relationship with the Word of God. First thing we will look at is the removal of filth in our lives. Verse 21. And this is the very first part. It says, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Notice here the words lay apart. man's wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, If we look back here in uh, verse 16, or excuse me, verse 20, it says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so we are to lay apart some things in our life that hinder our walk with God. The words lay apart are very strong words. They come from uh, the Greek word which means to strip off one's clothes. And uh, if we think about this, uh, uh, it also means to, uh, let me finish that definition there, uh, to get rid of defilement as a man strips off dirty clothes or a snake sheds its rotten skin, to pull out by the roots. Several illustrations of uh, come to mind. Uh, uh,
1: one of those would be,
0: you know, you go out in the, the, your garden or you go out and work. Uh, some of you have dirty jobs and so you, you get dirty and you come home and you just want to get rid of the dirty clothes. Now, that's what the words lay apart have to do with. It's uh, just to get rid of the dirty clothes, even uh, uh, after working in, a, in your garden yeah. after a hot, humid day whatever work you do. And when you're finished, you want to go inside, clean up, and get rid of those dirty clothes, take a bath, take a shower. You don't just get in the shower with your clothes. Now, I don't know, maybe that's the way you do it. Maybe that's the way you do your laundry. Uh, you just get in the shower with your dirty clothes. and I don't know how you do it at your house. We don't do it that way at our house. But um, you strip them off. You, you get rid of a, as much of the dirt in the first place there. And uh, it's also like a snake shedding its skin. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or seen that happen. That's the idea here. And then also, uh, it's like pulling something up by the roots. Now, if you're going to get rid of dandelions, uh, and if you're physically going to do it, you just can't come keep mowing them off and get rid of them. you got to dig them out. They have a little tool for that, you know. It's kind of hard work. But you you, you can get rid of them that way. But that's what this Word has to lay apart, uh, strip off the dirt, uh, shed the skin of filthiness, and then get it out by the roots. And uh, Paul used the same word in the book of Colossians to teach us that we are to get rid of the junk in our lives. Now, he didn't say junk. Uh, that's kind of a, a way of saying that, but that's what he said. He in, Also, in, in Romans, uh, he uses the word cast up. In Colossians 3, and verse 8, he says, But now ye also put off all these. And he lists them, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. In Romans 13, and verse 12, uh, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off, Those was the words there, put off, cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. In Hebrews 12 and verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin in which uh, doth it so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so this this is the same idea here that we have in James of lay apart, put off, cast off, lay aside. So what are we to strip out of our lives? Paul mentions some things there uh, in Colossians three that list of anger, wrath, malice, and so forth. James mentions two things in this particular verse. He mentions filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. What's he talking about? Well, I don't think he's talking about very close. Okay. Uh, although that's an illustration. But if you do some digging into a good concordance, you'll find the meaning of these words. The word filthiness comes from a word uh, which means that which soils or dis- defiles or dishonors the body, especially moral defilement or sexual sins. It comes from a root word which means, in a medical sense, I uh, kind of he- hesitated to talk about this or even to show you this because some of you will say, that's disgusting. Getting the wax out of someone's ears. That's kind of what it means. Get the wax out of the ears. You say, that is disgusting. Do you know what? Not as disgusting as what God says about your sin. It's exactly what God says about your sin. It's disgusting. You see, we're to get rid of everything which would stop our ears from hearing God's Word. And I think you could certainly apply this physically and spiritually, but you know when wax begins to clog a man's ears, it becomes death. What did you say? the wax out of your ears. I know there's other reasons for deafness. A man's sinfulness will make him deaf toward God. In Zechariah 7, verse 12 and 13, it says, Yea, they made their hearts as adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it came it's come to pass that when, as he cried, they would not hear. So they cried, and I, I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Listen, we need to get rid of the filth, the habits that defile, the dishonor, that soil our bodies. Not only our bodies, but our hearts. Then we're to get rid of the superfluity of naughtiness. That's some big words. Here, superfluity very many of you probably use that word this week. But it comes from a word which means overflow, prevalence, uh, surplus, excess, beyond the ordinary or the abundance. And the word naughtiness comes from the word which means malignity, malice, ill will, desire to injure, wickedness, depravity, evil, trouble. Naughtiness is an attitude that causes injury, usually to other people. It's an evil that is deliberate, it's determined. It can remain hidden in the heart for years and thus would include the hidden sins of our life that only we and the Lord know about. You know, we can see someone and say, boy, well, they seem like a really good person, nice person, they're always friendly. Maybe in the heart there's something hidden. Something hidden, and that's what he's talking about here. It's like the tangled undergrowth, a garden out of control, overgrown by weeks of of growth there. We've had, we've got some spots like that in our new place. Wow. We've got some work to do in the spring. We've got some flower beds, I guess you call them that. Some plants all overgrown with weeds and grass. And it looks a sight, you know? That's what he's talking about. superfluid, The abundance. The overabundance. Or we could even call it like a, to the cancer that some people will get in their, their bodies. See, this message here is that God wants us to flush out the abundance or the excess of evil and wickedness out of our lives because it will hinder our relationship with the Lord and our ability and our desire to learn, understand, and apply His words in our lives. So first of all, there's the removal of filth in our lives. Secondly, there's the reception of God's Word. You go on in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart. Cast off, put off, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word. If we are to receive the word of God, our hearts must be prepared to receive it. So for that reason, we need to get the clutter out of of the clutter of sin out of our lives. James says we are to receive the engrafted word with meekness. Let me break that down for you. Number one, first of all, we are to receive the word. What does that mean? Now, I'm not going to give you all the grammatical terminology concerning this word receive, but let me just put it this way. The word is a command, and it's something that's done once and for all time. You know, as a mother would take the hand of the child or perhaps as a uh, church would welcome a visitor, as parents would welcome into the family a son or daughter-in-law, it's the same way. We're to be hospitable to the Word of God. It's the idea behind this word receive. Secondly, we're to receive with meekness. In other words, we're to receive God's Word with a gentle, submissive, and teachable spirit, which is void of bitterness and jealousy and pride and moral corruption. You see, the meek person is a person with self-control. If your heart is not clean, then you are not teachable, and you're not going to learn what God has for you. The preaching and the teaching of God's Word can only be helpful to people that are teachable. When they get to the point where they think, Well, I know all of that, preacher. You don't, you're not telling me anything new. Well, then there can't be much done for it. And they've stopped growing in the world. By the way, you never know it all when it comes to God's And we never need to stop growing. We never get so old that we can't learn something new from God's we're to face the truth of God's word, which convicts us, condemns or corrects our errors, we're not to be blinded by man-made traditions or prejudices. It reminds me of uh, a uh, something I read recently about uh, uh, a I believe it was a violinist, Pablo Casals, or something like that. I don't know what his name, and he was ninety some years old, and someone says, "Why do you practice?" Still practice when you're ninety. He says, "Well, because I begin, to, I'm i to think I'm making progress." <laughs> well, that's our attitude ought to be about learning the Word of God. So often we're blinded by man-made traditions, prejudices, and so forth, and we we need to receive the Word of God with meekness. Then thirdly, we see receive the engrafted word. That word engrafted means inborn word. It's related to our uh, our word conscience. conscience. Uh, God has put within our conscience the knowledge of good and evil. In Romans uh, 2 and verse 15, "...which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or ex- else- excusing one another." You see, the word engrafted also means with it the, uh, the word sown, uh, rooted, or implanted. We talked about sowing and reaping in our Sunday school class uh, this morning. Uh, the seed is planted into the, the ground. And so God's word is planted within our hearts. Matthew 13, 23, But he that receiveth the seed unto good ground, as he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Folks, listen. The word of God, this book, is not a dead book. It's a lie. It's live like a thriving plant that can transform lives and uh, the behavior of people. Voices from within and without tell us what is the right way. And those who are wise will listen and obey God's Word. They will make it welcome in their lives. They will welcome the Word of God. It saved us and it changes us. God uses His Word to speak to us about our need for Christ. And the Word of God is not only used to save our souls, but it also saves our lives from the sting of sinful living when we obey its truth. 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again, not of a a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The book is not a dead book. I wonder this morning, is the Bible welcome in your life? And so the first thing we see here is the removal of filth in our life, the reception of God's word, and then thirdly the realization of of the Word in our lives. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What you do with the Bible will determine what God does with you. God wants us to put His Word into action into our lives. This is how we will change. This is how we will become more like Christ. This is how others will be changed as they are one to the Savior Uh, We are to be doers of the word, not hearers only. The words be ye, very important, be ye. That's really one word in the original language. It's a command, and that is uh, that which is to be done continually in our lives. We are to continually strive to be doers of the word. Again, the word be ye speaks of... Uh, our relationship with the Bible. Several uh, meanings here that can be applied. It means to be closely related to someone or something. We're to have a close relationship with God's Word. That means we don't say uh, Sunday morning, I wonder where my Bible is. <coughs> it's not a good church. In our church, we we have Bible messages. I better get my Bible. Where is it? Anybody see my Bible? Well, you better know where it's at. If you have a good relationship with it, you're going to know where it's at. Because it's not where you put it last Sunday when you got home from church, necessarily. It's where you used it last, perhaps that morning. Close relationship to someone or something. It also means to possess certain characteristics. We possess the traits of Scripture and what they teach. It means to prove to be. We're to prove ourselves as the doers of the Word. It means to become one's companion. The Bible should be our companion. We ought to be spending time in the Word of God regularly throughout the week. We ought to spend time with the Word in the Word every day. God's Word is to be realized, obeyed, or put into practice into our lives. Studying the Word is not just the end in itself. You know, there are people who can study the Word uh, and they can know all kinds of things about it, but that's not the, the final end. Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. You obey. By the way, I'm not against marking your Bible. Means, you've your Bible. nothing wrong with it marking your Bible, underlining something, making a note. But don't just mark it, let it mark you. We're to obey and continue the word. John 8, 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And so we're to be doers of the word. The word doers comes from the word which carries the idea of a whole inner being and personality of an individual, including their mind, their soul, their spirit, and their emotions. Uh, we're not to be part-time doers. No, we're to be full-time doers of the word. Again, the word doers conveys the idea that we, what we are rather than what we do. We are doers of the word in thoughts and in attitudes as well as our actions. The Word of God should saturate our entire being. And so we're doers of the Word, not just hearers. Now that word hearers comes from the Word, which means to describe someone who would sit in an audience and just kind of passively listen to someone. Maybe they sing or they speak. The, the Word in our day could be used to describe someone who audits a college class. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Uh, but uh, you, you don't really want to work on a degree or something, or just, but you're interested in a subject, and so you go and you audit the class. You know, an auditing student listens to the lectures, but they're not responsible for anything. They don't have to take the tests. Uh, they don't have to take the quizzes. Now, they're not required to do any reports or do any homework. See, that's my kind of class. There's no accountability for what they're hearing. I'm afraid many Christians are auditing God's Word. So I'm not responsible for that. I'm just going to hear what it says. kind <coughs> of a passive thing. They hear it, but they don't, they don't do anything with it. They don't put it into practice in their life. And that's what Peter advised us to do. In 2 Peter 1.10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things... shall never fall. John says something very familiar in 1 John 2, 3 and 4. And hereby we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, that's accountability. That's doing something with what we hear. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, we read, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that, next word, doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Uh, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, he that doeth evil, or worketh evil. Now, when we're hearers and not doers, we deceive ourselves. But it says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What does James mean? The word deceive comes from a word which means miscount or incorrect reasoning, to cheat by false reckoning. Now, if you're a mathematician, it would mean to miscalculate when we're hearers and not doers, we're cheating ourselves out of God's blessings. We're making false deductions and we're seriously and serious miscalculations. So how do we deceive ourselves? Well, one key way uh, we do this is by rationalizing our disobedience. God tells us to do something in His Word and sometimes we make excuses why we can't do it our rationalizing, our excusing, our our blaming, ends up deceiving ourselves of the real truth and the uh, real need of our hearts. The deceived hearer feels he's okay. Uh, There is nothing wrong in his life. He ends up being bamboozled by his baloney. That's more brief for you. He's double-crossed by his dishonesty, his Fooled by his fairy tales. So we need to put the word to practice. That brings us to the resemblance of a hearer. The resemblance of a hearer. Verse 23 and verse 24. It says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like to a man beholding his natural face in blasphemy. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. James is painting a picture of a hearer only in this verse. He compares it to a man who looks into a mirror and doesn't any, do anything about it. Doesn't do anything about what he sees. That word beholding means to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon Uh, The word indicates a careful, a cautious consideration of what is being viewed. In Bible times, mirrors were constructed of polished brass. Those with more money could purchase mirrors made of gold or silver. Uh, They were nice, but they were not perfect. Uh, These mirrors would still give a distorted view, but if you carefully turn them to get the best light, you could view a fairly accurate image of your face. Well, the Bible is, it tells us it's like a mirror. The Bible is like a mirror, it usually uh, shows us what we really are. The hearer only of the word gives diligent attention to what he hears, but he ends up forgetting it or neglecting. It. Or being unconcerned about what he heard and what the Lord was speaking to him about, he may have a distracted, angry, rebellious, and a poor memory. But uh, the end result is the same: it's fruitlessness. The hearer only is ship a uh, slipshod about his his sin. He's lazy about dealing uh, with his lust. He's a gold bricker concerning his guilt. You uh, know what those words. To do with. Let me ask you this morning are you a hearer of the word of heaven? That brings us to the results of obeying the word. Verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let me ask you do you want to be blessed? James tells you how in this verse. Blessing begins by looking into the word, the perfect law of liberty. The word looketh means to bend over and to carefully examine with curiosity and scrutiny something uh, from the clearest possible vantage point. It's the same verb that was used by Luke to describe how Peter. Looked, he bent over and he looked into the empty tomb for the resurrected Jesus. Well, he's looking for Jesus, but he didn't find him. Listen, we're to be members of the FBI now. I hesitate to use that as an illustration this morning, with the reputation the FBI has been getting these days. But years ago, when we lived in Watertown. We enjoyed the fellowship of our friends, Richard and Nick, Mickey Akins. Uh, they had children about the same ages of our children, so we'd often get together for meals and visits and so forth. He and I sang together. Uh, uh, we uh, taught classes. We coached together. And whenever I'd call over to his house, one of his kids would answer the phone, and I would be very serious, and I'd say something like, this is the FBI. I want to speak to Mr. Richard Higgins. I think I might have fool him once. It became a very regular greeting, and whenever I called them, they'd say, Hello, Mr. Fleming. <laughs> well, we decided that the FBI stood for Fleming Bureau of Investigation, not the Federal Bureau of Investigation. But the Planning Bureau of Investigation. But here, you know what I'm talking about? If you need to be a member of the FBI, I'm talking about a faithful Bible investigator. A faithful Bible investigator. We need to have a curiosity and a thirst to learn the wonderful truths of God's Word. Each day we should bend over and stoop to search God's Word with intensity. Acts 17 and verse 11 says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, daily, whether those things were so. Listen, don't take my word for it. Take God's word. Now James refers to the perfect law of liberty here. I want us to stop and just think about that phrase for a moment. Let's take it apart. The word the. It's a definite article. It's the perfect law. Not a perfect law. It's the perfect law it's the one and only. Secondly, it's perfect. The author is perfect. There are no flaws, no mistakes. It's God breathed, it's inspired Word of God. And it's law. The Bible is our rule for life. It's not only, it is our only rule for faith and practice. And then the word liberty. The word of God will set us free when we obey it. And so James refers to the word as the perfect law, the perfect law of liberty. So the power of God's word enables us to break the bondage of sinful habits, bring blessing and liberty when it's obeyed. In John 8 Verse 31 and 32, Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So not only a a, a member of the FBI, remember that stands for faithful Bible investigators, but I think we should also be members of the CIA, Christians in action. Christians in action. It tells us to continue to persevere or to abide in God's Word, putting it into practice into our lives. Don't quit. Keep on in the Word of God. Now, this does not mean we're to fill our heads with a bunch of Bible facts and then do nothing about it. But we're to take the truths of the Bible and live them out in our lives. Folks, God is not aiming for our heads, He's aiming for our hearts. When we put Scripture to practice, it will help us not to be a forgetful hearer, hear, but a doer of the work and the word. That's what leads us to blessing and success. Remember what Joshua 1.8 said, This book of the law shall not be a part of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The word success speaks of prosperity and wisdom and instruction. In fact, Psalm 32 and verse 8, it's in it's in translated the word instruct. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee. There was a missionary in New Guinea who returned after several years of service. His friend said to him, Jones, tell me, what have you found at your station in New Guinea? He replied, found? I have found something that looked more hopeless than I had been sent into the jungle, uh, if I had been sent in the jungle to, to a bunch of tigers. The friend asked him, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, the missionary responded why those people are so degraded that they seem utterly empty of moral common sense. They are worse than beasts of the jungle. If a mother were carrying her little baby and the baby began to cry, she would throw it to the ditch and let it die. If a man saw his father break his leg, he would leave his father along the roadside to die. They have no compassion at all. They do not know what it means to have compassion and then asked, well, what did you do for the people like that? Did you preach to them? The missionary, I uh, preached. No. I lived before them. When I saw the baby crying, I picked it up and I comforted it. When I saw a man with a broken leg, I helped to mend it. When I saw people in distress, I took them in and pitied them and cared for them. I got involved in their lives and those people began to come to me and say, And asked, what does this mean? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Then I had my chance to preach the gospel. Did you succeed? asked the friend. The missionary answered and said, Well, when I left, I left the church. You see, when we are a doer of the word, we will be blessed. How the word of God is unlimited. It's not It will not return void or empty. You see, God's word has power to change men's lives and to set them free. John Phillips tells the story of the survivors of the ship Bounty. You remember uh, the book Mutiny on the Bounty? And you read it when you were in school. Well, There was a sequel uh, to that book. And it was about a settlement in Kipkaren Island. And a small group of mutineers, women and The Natives lived there on that island, and these people had everything they needed on that island except for one thing. There was no law or enforcement of law. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Anarchy and chaos prevailed as drunkenness, fighting, sexual immorality thrived. Suspicion between the whites and the natives gave rise to murder and war of extermination. One of the sailors lost his mind, and another became a drunkard, eventually committing suicide to escape the terror. The women became desperate. They built a fort, they barricaded the door, and they determined to shoot on sight any man who would come within range. That was the life on this island without fall. Then someone found a copy of it. Those who survived the years of uncontrolled lust and debauchery and drunkenness and wickedness settled down to live new lives in Christ, freed from the bondage of sin by the perfect law of liberty. And a new generation rose, and they were ruled by God's word. Law, order, love, decency, and respect became the rule of life. And when these folks trusted Christ and obeyed his word, they were greatly blessed. See, that's what James was talking about. And we miss out on blessing many times because we tend to be forgetful here. We t- tend to be apathetic, uncaring, or neglectful toward the Word of God. And then we wonder why God is not blessing us. I wonder this morning are you a doer of the Word? Are you willingly receiving it and taking it in and doing with it for God what you need? Let's